Hi there, I'm Laura Mark and I'm the keeper of Walmer Yard. Walmer Yard is the home of the Baylight Foundation, which explores how analogue and traditional experiences of architecture stand in an increasingly digital future of virtual and enhanced reality, where the half is replaced by the mobile phone. In this new series of podcasts, we will talk to those, often from outside the fields of architecture, who are using different means to explore a deeper, spatial understanding of the buildings which we inhabit. Today we are speaking to the spoken word performer and poet Lionheart. Lionheart was the first poet in residence at Grimshaw Architects and the Building Centre, and he has been exploring architecture and poetry's relationship in a research project which he has termed emotional inhabitancy. Over the past year, Lionheart has worked with a vast number of high-profile organisations, including Big, The Welcome Collection, Saatchi Gallery and Snowheta. So today we're going to talk to him about the relationship between architecture and poetry. Let's start at the beginning. How did you go from being an architecture student to a spoken word performer? And have you always been writing poetry? I haven't always been writing poetry. I probably started around the age of, from what I can remember, I think it was nine when I wrote my first poem. Nine or nine or seven. And I was in school and the poem was called Tiger. Um, I think I stole that from William Blake. <laughs> I stole that title from William Blake. And um, I think as time went on, I was writing, but I didn't realize what I was writing was poetry. It was just something to really understand where my mind was at and how I, where my disposition was mentally within the world. Um, when it got to the part of me studying architecture, I was writing to understand myself still. I wasn't really too sure of my identity, where I wanted to pursue in terms of my purpose in life. And also, I guess, just where my current skills could be applied. So when I finished architecture, as a degree, I pretty much ran away from it. It wasn't something where I finished a degree and felt like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was super enthusiastic about creating and designing and helping people through that. But it didn't strike me as a career that I wanted to wake up every single day and dedicate my life to. Whereas poetry, poetry definitely was. And I think the journey of me leaving architecture and realizing how I can create something which facilitates for, for, for humans kind of led into, again, inadvertently led into me creating poems, which was to see how I can facilitate myself in the world and then facilitate others through uh, a sense of innate expression of how they feel. So long story short, <laughs> um, I, I'm someone who, me and you both are very aware of this. Like I've had depression, I've had bouts of anxiety. And I guess for me to be in an environment such as the Barbican, which I probably should be sponsored by them at some point because I've mentioned their name so many times. It should be like an endorsement deal. How many times can Lionheart say the Barbican saved him? But um, genuinely, I, I remember leaving or fleeing my house or fleeing any um, sense of altercation with someone and just running to the Barbican and it being like a safe haven, like a safe space ecosystem that I could just go into. No one knew me and the environment just cradled me and it was such a fulfilling feeling and I couldn't get it anywhere else. I still can't get that feeling anywhere else in in London and um I just needed to study I needed to understand why does this place this specific place in London have this effect on me what is it about the design the atmosphere the the intention behind certain decisions that were made the aesthetics like what is it that almost curated my well-being um so I started to do a bunch of research um, studying people from uh, all walks of life 
one in particular her name is Sarah W Goldhagen and I'm um, just really understanding how not just architecture itself but like the urban environment landscape and how all of that plays a part into affecting our mental health and our well-being so me being a poet <laughs> me being a poet I I'm always seeking new ways of understanding something and expressing it in a succinct way and I coined the phrase emotional inhabitants which again for me is facilitating that emotional resonance between space and people on an internal and subconscious level that we all have we all have that aha or click moment with a space or place or building and I wanted to coin a phrase which had a poetic sense to it because I feel like the poetics of space speaks of the otherness of architecture and I wanted to really dig into that to really dissect how that could affect us on a cognitive emotional level and then lo and behold it led me to say okay well it's one thing me doing my own research through secondary research reading books and articles etc I need to dive deep and I need to go to where the architects are so that is when I started to pursue um venturing into doing poet in residencies my first was with a company called msda uh michael scrans design and architecture based in hackney and then since then my career in terms of poetry and architecture spiraled into a very positive place so we'll come back to the kind of architecture and emotional side of your work but i'd like to kind of just go into those residencies a little bit so you you were a poet in residence at grimshaw for i think it was about a year wasn't it I haven't really heard of architects having poets in residence. Uh, so can you tell me a bit about what you did there and kind of how you got involved there? So I, I got involved there. I think it was the, um, forgive me for not remembering the name. I think it was when London had their open week and you could visit certain firms. I think it was around April, May. And um, that happened roughly around 2018, I believe it was 2018. And as soon as I walked in there, there was a bunch of people who I had no idea who they were and I, I met a woman who I later found out her name was Karen and she she pointed me towards these cards that were on the table I picked up the card it was the communications manager by the name of Rebecca Foote and I sent an email there was a back and forth correspondence I had like three to four meetings with them um, and, and I guess at that point it was like how can we make this work to benefit staff and to benefit the the overall uh, application of architecture within our environment. And those back and forth conversations led to several proposals, which then led to me doing a week with them, which then spiraled into a whole full-fledged year. And throughout that year, it entailed me coming in for three days a month, um, curating our own um, programs around one-to-one sessions, uh, workshopping around designing floor plans around personality, designing poems that could turn into form, looking at how we can actually create a, um, a sense of new work culture, like an innovative work culture around poetry and architecture. We facilitated, I think, two exhibitions as well, which formulated the 100 poems I think I wrote for them in the space of a year with their New York and London offices as well. So that was like huge. I did several talks around my findings, around um, realizations, with like one of their partners or a few of their um, principals. There were just a bunch of heavy, heavy, yet very artistically expressed work, which is about how can we expand the capacity of an architect without actually doing any architectural drawings, using poetry as a medium and as a tool and as an appliance to really apply themselves in a creative way. And I guess for me, it was how far can I push them creatively to really see the inner workings of a person and how that filters into design, 
but also how they are very conscious or subconscious of their poetic acumen like everyone had a a grasp of language but for me it was like how can we use this grasp of language expand on it and actually feed that into the architectural world you've done this poet in residence stuff at other practices as well has it always been the same or do, does it vary depending on which practice you're with yeah they're always bespoke always bespoke um like for instance i just came back from snowheta in uh oslo that was earlier on this no it was early in march um beaut- like just their culture as soon as you walk in, you realise they are a different, um, extrovert, creative bunch of people. They are supremely just like the unorthodox firm. And I, I was really kind of immersed into their culture in just the first day. Um, we designed a landscape workshop together, which was really, really powerful. And that was something I'd never did before. But it was looking around how we can actually create new language, specific language that would direct and also relinquish our hold to previous language which expresses ourselves in the client form or even just expressing ourselves towards um, other people and colleagues so yeah, they helped me create a new workshop format just because of how uh, innovative they were and how open they were to expressing certain things and there, again there are certain areas of consultancy which I can't speak on too much but just really open in terms of how they could use me so depending on the architectural practice I almost mirror it and then take it somewhere completely different they give me the stimulus to become a better poet (laughs) while being a poet residence and how that can benefit them again so yeah it's always different always different there may be a performance or talk which is like one of the foundations especially the one-to-ones which really i guess for me helps me develop that core relationship with an individual that sparks into the the muse of a poem that sparks into the uh the genesis of how far we can actually take this let's hear one of those poems you wrote as part of your grimshaw residency this one is called tectonics platelets cheers to the shift of platelets coming together she does that for me helps me balance recline heal a collaboration where art is the elegant dance of foundation and earth of clinical psychologist and lover, of architect and other, making cogwheels shift into play, she does that for me, helps me click, platelets coming together to be one with all the moving parts of myself, helps me balance, recline, heal. How do you think these residencies and this form of writing has changed your experience of architecture? Prior to um, being in these architectural firms, as someone who is a fan of architecture, whose dad is an architect, you have a, a myopic focus on what you think architecture is. You don't really get to meet or interact with the people unless they're at panels. And even then, like it's, it's, it's a limited level of information absorption. Like You can only take in so much. When I'm in the firms... I get so much access in terms of the the people, the personalities, the mindsets, the culture, the the aspirations, the the daring, the audacity that they all have. And for me, that gives such a overwhelming, but a welcomed, overwhelming um, fruitfulness in terms of how far architecture has come in my eyes, but also how far it can go. Like there's so much potential in each individual that the firm um, is comprised of. And I now look at architecture not as, oh, 
this is a Foster building, this is a Grimshaw building, this is a, a Kengokuma building. Like there are so many key facets and key cogwheels that are turning just to make that one project happen. And I think when you're in it, you get to see the the organism for every one of its parts. And how do you think the residencies and the way you engage with architects in practice kind of changes those offices and changes their approach to design or to their work? I've had a handful of emails, a handful of feedback and um, just testimonials of how people have revitalized their love for architecture through me, how they've now wanted to create new programming globally for their work culture within the architectural practices and how that actually can change and how they may be putting ambassadors in place to pursue these residencies at a more consistent and frequent basis. I know personally through, I'm still friends with a bunch of people from, from the firms. It's, it's formulated really deep, truthful and honest and authentic. I would like to say there's a safe space between the friendships that I've made now and it has fostered things outside of the firm where we're still meeting up, we're still having phone calls, we're still having lengthy emails around life. And it's that freedom of expression, which I think majority of the firms haven't had them to this point because they've now had an outsider come in who's made them feel like they're at home finally. And that sounds so alien because they worked at these firms for so long. But when you can turn a workplace into a place you feel like you belong and that you have a sense of belonging, and you can see the value that you add on a personal level, not just an architectural level, you really see the richness in a firm and in a practice. And it becomes more than just a, a corporation. It's, it, it's more than that. You really see that it's an ecosystem of people. Yeah, I guess it's about adding that kind of human touch to, to the practice. And, and from the, if you're looking at it from the outside, you've got a kind of different perspective. Mm hmm. Um, so I'm going to go into the kind of experience side of things a little bit and how you bring that out in your work. So um, a lot of your work really focuses on kind of architecture and well-being and the use of architecture to uplift people. Um, and you said before about the, the Barbican kind of having this medicinal effect on you. So can you talk a little bit about that? That's a very open question. So I'm going to speak specifically on an encounter that I remember having um, in the Barbican. So there's been a few moments in my life where it felt that the environment was detrimental to my existence, uh, to understanding how I could find a sense of emotional sustainability from a, from a strong feel of, of instability. I was very uh, perplexed, for lack of a better word, by certain environmental factors in my house or through friendships or through just any experiences that I went through. And I remember specifically being on one intersection on a podium at the um, Barbican and I was just staring out and observing the different nuances of shade between the um, the brutalist element that they've now the jackhammered into the wall, into the aesthetics around the buildings. It just, oh, I, I felt like I could touch it without touching it. And it's a weird sensation. Like I know the eyes can, again, you know me, I, I love Giovanni Palazzo. He speaks around how the eye... Um, can see something and determine what it feels like from just looking at it but for me it was like my eyes were were like reading braille through just looking at the aesthetics and it was just really otherworldly for me to sit in a space and just feel like I could read the building's language and it was speaking to me through my eyes it was 
again it's it's something I'm, I need to probably put into a poem at some point to really um, convey but at that moment it was like it was the the counselor or the shrink that was telling me how to feel karma through looking at the the uh, for lack of a better word the braille in the um, exterior and um, I guess guess me understanding that on some level was why I kept on returning back to the pages of the architecture. Does that make sense? Like I kept on looking for new chapters within its design to feed new information into me. And um, I just started to seek it in other places. It didn't It didn't resonate as much. I think it's like this with most poetry collections. Some resonate with you so, so much like, oh, you wrote it for me. And then others don't. And it was like there were buildings and designs. The Barbican for me felt like, like it was ma- made for this moment or that moment that I really needed it to just give me something that, a person couldn't give me a construction did and are there other buildings which you kind of you feel the same about and which have a similar impact on you never I've never had the same feeling um I've had similar feelings there was um the Casa de Musica I think it was Rem Kulas and I remember I went to study it through my university and it was just something about the sequence of spaces of being you know they use this word quite a lot in architecture being enveloped by a space but I fully felt like the envelope was opening every single every single intersection I went into. It was like, okay, there's a new flap that's been folded over now, and it's for me the 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 catering to acoustics as well and viewpoints and where your perspective was kind of encouraged or seduced into going. Like that's one space that fed my curiosity and fed my enthusiasm about exploration of inner space. Um, there are some spaces that I walk into and I just feel like I'm not welcomed here and not for any sort of like class or racial thing just like this space doesn't feel like I'm meant to be here at all. Emotion in architecture seems to be a really big topic for you. How do you think we can capture emotion in our buildings and why do you think this is important? So this is why the poem residencies are so important specifically the one-to-ones. I realised that by having a one-to-one session for like an hour or so you tap into the the reserves of our human capacity to feel and there aren't really spaces unless you go to therapy unless you are really proactive around understanding your emotional intelligence there aren't safe spaces to really tap into your reserves the the things you keep back the things that you think oh okay i'm just gonna put it to a side and leave that there if i ever need to touch into what i will understanding how we feel what triggers our feelings what constitutes to what we want to project into the world uh, our relationship with I guess the different facets of how other people make us feel and how other environments can make us feel really getting to the the nooks and crannies of that and how that machine works can can not even can must filter into how we design for people because we're not designing spaces for spaces we're not designing spaces for machinery we're designing them based on the holistic entitlement of a human body and how that how that person interacts and feels emotionally throughout function is one thing but we we hardly ever talk about the emotional functionality and that's why i feel like once you understand who a person is and what is contributed to them feeling certain ways in spaces around people that naturally filters into decision into the decisions that they make for themselves and for others it's almost opening themselves up to themselves and then realizing that they can now open a space up to other people and how do you open up that dialogue and that conversation? Because architects are not really taught to kind of connect with that side of things, I think. 
um, it's kind of missing from architectural education. So how do you begin to open up those discussions around emotion and architecture? I care genuinely, maybe more so than a lot of people around feelings and how, and it probably stems from how others have made me feel a certain way and haven't catered or cared or, or took any consideration to how they've made me feel. I've spent such a long time being an introvert and being by myself and seeing why why have, why has the world or why has individuals or why have certain situations made me feel like this and instead of me becoming someone who's aggressive because they've triggered my emotional instability i wanted to understand like how can i get that under control and to get that under control i needed to see myself eye to eye with whatever it is that i was confronted with emotionally so when i step into a one-to-one -one session i don't take anyone to where my expectations are for them i meet them where they're at I meet them where they aren't. I meet them wherever they want to step into that room with and gradually and incrementally show them myself. And inadvertently, there's a reciprocal nature that just happens. I, I can't speak on what it is. I'm not this uh, magician <laughs> that all of a sudden says, hey, open up to me about trauma. Being myself and being so genuine about caring for people. I, I, like, I could tell you every poem that I've wrote so far, I know that person like for what they've presented to me like I'm I'm entrenched in terms of what they've deal with and what they've confronted there are moments where people have cried and it's it's that moment where we just hold each other's hand and we know that's all that needs to happen there is so many experiences I, I remember this one gentleman who I was speaking to at a Grimshaw in New York and after having an hour session, we was like, listen, I'm going to we have to book you in for an extra hour when I'm supposed to leave <laughs> because we just need to continue this. And, and we've had a really great uh, relationship since. And it's 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 things like that. It's it's resonance. It's utter genuine resonance. And I found that for me, one of the very selfish things which I took from the residencies, I get to be reminded about how beautiful a stranger could be every day. And not everyone gets to have that, especially in the the London traffic. And you just you see people angry every day or they're on TFO, they're moody every day. I got to meet a stranger who I probably would never meet in my life and realize how beautiful of an individual they are through their suffering, through their joy, through everything. Do you think poetry can help us connect more with this emotional and sensual experience of architecture? Flawlessly, yes. And I dare anyone who doesn't believe that I dare them to find the poetry that resonates with them because there's a poetry collection for everyone and some of us are not exposed to it. I wouldn't say they're lazy, I'd just say they wouldn't, they're not exposed to it. Some people really don't see the power and the influence that poetry can have and most of us do spend our time on social media, we do spend our time watching or absorbing content. Poetry is probably one of the most um, self-fulfilling contents you can take in that just helps the world around you. Whereas I'm not talking about the globe, I'm talking about your inner circle, your outer circle. It really is fruitful to how you can be a better person in the world and exist more fruitfully. And then I also remember reading some notes you'd written. I'm going to read this back to you and then I want you to comment on it. So you said, sensors record the spaces. The eye is only one angle we record them from, not particularly the best. And I thought, for me, I thought this chimed well with kind of our focus on the sensors here at Walmart Yard. And I wondered if you could kind of expand on what you were trying to say there and what you were thinking. I now walk into spaces and especially when I was at Walmart Yard and I had the brilliant tour, which I had. I remember being directed by yourself around this is this room, this. And I got so much from the eye 
that I almost forgot I need to touch the place that I'm walking into. So I started touching the the, the, the door frames. I started touching the, the windows. Everything that I could put my hands on to inform me of something other than what I'm naturally um, comfortable receiving information through. And I think that's that's what I'm I guess I'm trying to hint at. There's a a lazy comfort we have in using the eye so much. The nose informs us so much of a space. Um, the hands, I I really it's the, <laughs> I'm trying not to sound anything but PC. I love caressing the barbican whenever I walk past it. My hand feels like I need to just touch the surfaces. And you're always informed. You're always informed and we don't allow touch to be, we don't allow the tactility to be a key indicator of how we can feel in a space. We allow the eye to determine, depending on how we look at it, depending on what the lighting is like in a certain space, but to touch a space, to allow your body to sit in a space without applying your bum to a seat is something out of this world, which I feel like we can all have and we all have that intrinsically in us, but we don't enable it as much as we consciously should. And that's that's what I mean. I feel like we are, you know, they say like we probably use like 20 percent or 15 percent of our brain's capacity. Correct me on the, on the percentage. I'm not too sure on the percentages, but I feel like in experience in a building, most of us use only 20 percent. And I think so much of our kind of discussion around touch and thoughts around touch will change after the pandemic. And because our, our relationship with like like that's kind of scared to touch now and we'll almost have to relearn how we touch and how and how we really think about how we design spaces in that in that light what do you think about that you'd be surprised because there are so many people I've spoken to and again I'm on I'm on the radio pretty much every week and people are saying to me I am dying to hug someone there's a craving within people now and we're realizing just just how much of a needy quality or, or, or feature that is to our existence we need to feel others we need to be in a space where we can touch them and you can determine if they're cold or not and how that makes you feel and do you know what I mean there's all these if you hold someone's hand long enough how hot that grip that moist there's so much beauty in the ability to touch and I feel like now being in a space when we're limited to that where we're almost removed from that culture of touching it's either going to make it spike in a lot of people. You're going to realize, I'm, you know me, I'm a hugger. <laughs> I think for people who aren't huggers by by nature, there's going to be a spike. And I really hope people will learn how to use that sense of tactility to get in touch with something which they've never had before. Like I, I, I want to compare it to people or specifically people in relationships and friendships. I feel like there is certain limitations that we put. So we don't ask certain things. We don't push our friendships beyond certain levels of discomfort i think this is going to allow us to start pushing those boundaries a bit more rather than putting more in place we we know how it feels to be uh ostracized from the world now mm. and i think for me i feel like touch and the way we talk about touch was so undervalued and now there's kind of like a like a longing and an, uh, a yearning for touch and that will kind of be reflected in in maybe in the way we design spaces and even in how the interior design of a space now, everyone is staring at their house or their flat right now thinking, I don't like what I see. <laughs> thinking, how can I make this feel like a holiday away from home, but in home? I, I think there's a lot of conscious thoughts around where we chose to reside. 
I think that's definitely something that's entering a lot of our, our mindsets now, especially for families who have children and maybe don't have gardens or balconies. There are so much thought now going into we need a space that caters to us. You say you wish to create poetry on the same way that architects create space. Um, what do you mean by this? I've always been told, I think in the beginning year, my first year of um, my architecture degree at UEL, that um, architecture creates shelter first and foremost. And there are so many things that are housed in us uh, as people, trauma from spaces we can't even remember, um, experiences that we've yet to really put the correct label on. And I'm using the term correct because we label so many things that are really not what they are. They are what we name them. And they need to have their proper label in terms of cognitive development, in terms of how we can enrich our understanding of things rather than remove ourselves from something which caused us, cause us pain. Um, for poetry to be shelter, it needs to learn how to shield away the things that don't serve us, but also make us inhabit the areas we didn't think we had within us. And, I, and that's what I mean. I think everything is an, is an internal exploration or internal expedition or, or a perception, a pilgrimage of perception. And poetry enables that. And just as you enter a building, hopefully, uh, or a residential space or a commercial space, there is this sense of being limited to certain areas. You know, like, oh, this is for the, the staff, right? This is for the, uh, the cleaners or whatever. I feel poetry removes those barriers, removes those access codes that everyone needs to have to get into those spaces. It says, no, these are all yours. Go explore. That's really nice. I think that's a really nice thing to end on. It's that thought of like poetry taking us somewhere that we don't really know exists yet. Thanks, Lionheart. To draw us to a close, can you read us your final poem, Against the Test of Time? Each brick has resisted being drained of water just as our bodies have, until time comes where the kiln of depression surmounts us. Lovers of brick are linked somehow with those of us who will burn in order to build. Buildings falling to pieces give me something new buildings can't. Their shell echoes the life once lived. A new building can't tell you what has happened because it's just starting to tell its story. Timelessness has an undeniably visible quality. The oculus is where grandeur welcomes the effects of the world we often shelter away from. The rain visits to return what the kiln of depression has divorced. The wind is a forced marriage. The trees bend by the knee and not ties to the sun. What I mean is I love her is what I'm saying. Like trees that bend with the wind without breaking spirit. I would stand it all like the pantheon. I just want to grow with her bending until I fall just one more year. Let my skin whisper all the weathering I've overcome to let our fragility tell you we are still here.